Hi again, this is World Pastor Tony Alamo. This is program number 613-613. If you'd like to have a copy of it, Sharon will tell you how at the end of the program. Please tell us whether you want a CD or an audio tape. Well, they're both free, including the postage and handling. Got some very interesting things to tell you about the Word of God and about the horrible sin of the disgusting sin of homosexuality. There is a um, a reverend in uh, 1869, a fantastic writer, Reverend Daniel March, a doctor of divinity, and he wrote a book entitled Night Scenes of the Bible or Night Scenes in the Bible. Very fascinating book, very scriptural, and we're going to read a passage from the book. And this passage is called The Last Night of Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where all the homosexuals were. And this explains how filthy and degenerate they are. I've got some letters also and music, so but let's first go to the throne and ask the Lord to uh, anoint this uh, message 613. Father, I thank and praise your wonderful name for giving me the truth of the Word of God in the ways that things have never changed. Uh, the people in the world, just because they become more depraved, feel that you ought to change to accommodate their wishes and desires. But, of course, you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You're never going to change. And it doesn't make any indifferent, uh, difference how people are indifferent towards your word. And they begin thinking that they're holier than thou, and they'll see on the day of judgment, how they put their hand to the plow and then turn back. Did you have no satisfaction with people like that? There's nothing that you desire of people that do that. And they were just going straight to hell. Lord, let everything that's said in this program be directly from you, that souls may be saved and the church be strengthened. Lord, in Jesus' mighty name I pray, and everyone says amen. Amen. All right, now here I am to sing, Let Him Be, meaning let Jesus be all you need for tomorrow, and today, and the day after tomorrow. Let it be. Let him be all you need.
Escape for thy life. The words of man and the words of angels, the man, the man meaning Lot, a master of courtesy and hospitality. The angels, ministers of mercy and of vengeance. The man speaks of house and home and feasting and rest. The angels speak of impending wrath and swift destruction. The man persuades to the enjoyment of a quiet evening in a luxurious climb and promises the return of a beautiful day. Sharon will continue on with that, but right now we have some letters. Where's the first one from, Sharon? Kothakota, India. Okay, let's hear what they have to say. Praise the Lord. Greetings to you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sir, I have seen your newsletters and gospel literature, which a pastor gave me some copies of, and it is very useful to our spiritual lives. After I read your literature, I distributed it to the people who don't know about Jesus Christ. In our town, there are so many people who have not seen your newsletters. Therefore, they're very interested to read your tracts and then accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Please pray for them. We're praying for your beautiful ministry. God has given you a good ministry, and we thank God for you all. We need your newsletters, gospel literature, and Messiah books. In our church also, everybody wants to read your literature. I was so enlightened by reading your messages and the Messiah book. I am doing the ministry individually, so please remember me in your prayers. As soon as possible, please try to send the required materials. We are very thankful to you because it has been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. So we are looking forward to receiving your literature. Pastor David Kumar from Kothakota, India. Praise the Lord. Wonderful letter. Now, do you have another one? Yes. Where is it from? From Chittapa, Malawi, Africa. All right. Let's hear what they have to say. Dear Pastor Lamo, I bless God for the things he is using you to do in our generation. I feel honored in the Lord to be in contact with your ministry. Pastor, I received one of your tracts from a friend, and after reading it, I found that I was blessed, and there was joy in my heart. The same friend gave me more of your tracts to distribute, and many people have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. 
In my area, people are still worshiping idols and graveyards, and they go to mediums and fortune tellers, plus all other magicians, to seek advice for the future. So, Pastor, your tracks have played a very big role in that more than 10 people a day are knowing the truth. The other problem is that there is no church in our area that has ever taught the biblical truths that are in your tracks. Pastor, we have made a group of about 50 Christians, including those who have stopped worshiping idols, the new converts, and we're doing Bible studies using your tracts and newsletters. Pastor, we're now requesting in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the materials for the sake of sinners to receive freedom and salvation, and also for the new converts. Many lost souls here are coming to receive Christ. I will therefore, on behalf of my friends, request some Christian books tapes, and some Bibles, if possible. Tapes can help much because we can use them during our Bible study time as we teach so they can listen to your preaching. If videotapes are available, we can go to different places of their idol worship and show the videos so the truth can prevail. Pastor, we'd like you to include us in your group of your distributors. We'd also like to be under your ministry. We know that if materials are received, our group will also start growing from 50 to 5,000, then from 5,000 to 5 million. For in our area, people are thirsty and hungry for the Word of God and your teachings on the Word of God. May joy and glory be yours in the name of Jesus. I pray your ministry will go on and on. God should continue blessing you and protecting you so that the gospel can reach everywhere as it has reached here where people worship idols. Yours in Christ's service, Kaji Frank from Malawi, Africa. All right, praise the Lord. Now let's get right in to this message regarding the homosexuals in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three cities on the plain that God destroyed because of that sinful, lewd act. Go ahead. The angels would hasten and escape from the scene of enchantment and delight at the sacrifice of all earthly possessions. The man speaks from mere feeling and a vivid impression of things as they are passing before his eyes. The angels speak of things as they are, and behind the calm and peaceful aspect of the closing day, they see the fiery tempest of the coming morn. Such is the contrast between feeling and fact, shadow and substance, appearance and reality. So unlike and so allied to each other are the sensual and the spiritual, the earthly and the heavenly, the aspect of peace and safety, and the near approach of danger and destruction. Such is the difference between the judgment of man, who is all involved in the cares and toils and pleasures of the passing day, and the judgment of beings who stand outside the range of our mistakes and temptations, and who see the affairs of time in the light of eternity." Things are seldom what they seem to those who judge only by what they see. We are walking every moment upon the very brink of the awful abyss of death and eternity. We are compassed about at all times, and the very sanctuary of our being is penetrated by influences that we cannot comprehend, and by forces of illimitable power. The flame of life burns so feebly upon the secret altar of our hearts that it can be put out by a sudden jar or a single breath. The partition between us and the unseen world is thin as the garments that clothe our flesh, and as easily pierced 
as the bubbles that float on the wave. A slight change in the elements of the air we breathe would wrap the whole earth in devouring fire or stop the breath of everything that breathes. The drought of water with which we quench our thirst hold imprisoned an electric force great and terrible enough to darken the heavens with tempests and to shake the eternal hills with its thunders. Things are not what they seem. The appearance of rest and security is often the thin veil which hides approaching calamity and destruction. The smoothly gliding car flies along its level track, and the voices of gaiety and gladness are flung out upon the air as the changing panorama of mountain and hill and valley and forest and stream unfolds before the happy throng of travelers hastening to their homes or seeking new delight in other scenes. A sudden crash is heard, and the flying palace, with all its living throng of passengers, lies in fragments and in flames beside the track, and the voices of gladness are changed to shrieks of terror and cries of agony and death. A healthful and happy family retire to rest with every feeling and indication of peace and security. The morning looks in upon a darkened chamber and upon a company of mourners, weeping around the bedside of one for whom the death angel came in the night watches, with so swift a summons as to leave no time to say farewell. The strong man rises with the sun and goes forth from his home, rejoicing in his strength. He takes up the burden of his daily toil with eager grasp and tireless energy. In an unexpected moment, some secret spring of life is broken, and he falls as if smitten by the lightning stroke, never to rise again. Thus, while the angels of life and of death were seen by living men in ancient time, we are met in our daily paths and visited in our homes by powers as mysterious and mighty, although we see them not with our eyes. Every day's experience compels to believe in the reality and awful nearness of forces that take no visible body or form. Let us equally believe in the actual appearance of messengers from the unseen world, stepping out from beneath the shadow of eternity to teach men the great lessons of God's truth and love in ancient time. Let us study this memorable passage in sacred history with deep reverence and godly fear. The first scene which arrests our attention is one of quietness and security. It is evening. A fair city lies upon the border of a plain that looks like a garden in beauty and fertility. A bright lake stretches away northward between dark frowning hills, and the steep wall of the eastern shore is reflected in perfect outline beneath the mirror-like surface of the water. Laborers are coming in from the vineyards and fields on the plain, and shepherds are folding their flocks on the distant hills. There are no signs of wrath in the sky, no voices of wailing in the air, no tremor in the sure and firm-set earth. And yet the last night is casting its shadows upon the walls and battlements of the doomed city. According to the custom of the land and the time, the chief men are sitting in the gate. Old and young are all abroad in the open air. The idle multitude are coming and going to gather the gossip of the day 
and enjoy the cool wind that comes up from the lake outside of the walls. The sun has gone down behind the western hills, and the brief twilight lingers as if loath to go, like a purple fringe on the dusky garments of the coming night. So lingers the crimson flush of health upon the pale cheek of the consumptive, while the fires of fever are draining the fountains of life within. So the deluded youth, enticed by the siren voice of pleasure, hesitates at the threshold of the house of death. This is about Sodom and Gomorrah, the homosexuals. It is about all the other sins that are committed there, the night before their destruction. Then what? So the deluded youth, enticed by the siren voice of pleasure, hesitates at the threshold of the house of death, and then sets his feet in the way to hell with a smile. The evening is so mild and beautiful in the cloudless clime of the east that the idle and pleasure-loving population give themselves up with childish freedom in its bewitching charm, and the streets of the city and its walks outside the gates resound with the voices of the gay and the loud laugh of the vacant mind. Theirs is the land of the olive and the vine. The flowers blossom through all the year. The air is loaded with perfume. The light clothes and landscape with dreamy fascination. The evening air woos to voluptuous ease. The night persuades to passion and pleasure. The plains surrounding the city are like the garden of the Lord in fertility. The most indolent culture secures an abundance for the supply of every want. The distant hills are covered with flocks. The merchants of the east bring their treasures from afar. The camels and dromedaries of the desert lay down their burdens at her gates. And the fair city in the vale of Siddim revels in the profusion of everything that nature and art can produce. The chief men display the luxury and the pride of princes. The common people make a holiday of the whole year. The multitude look as if they were strangers, equally to want and to work. Like birds in summer, they enjoy the season as it passes, and they take no thought for the morrow. Idleness and riches stimulate the appetite for pleasure, and they go to every excess in indulgence. They have everything that the sensual can desire, and their only study is to find new ways of gratifying the coarsest and basest passion. According to the testimony of one who knew all history, they eat and drink, they buy and sell, they plant and build, and their whole thought and effort and desire is given to a life of the senses, denying God and debasing the soul. And they are so passionate and haughty in their devotion to earthly possessions and sensual pleasures as to count it a mockery for one to say, that there may be guilt or danger in such a life. Such is the throng of the thoughtless and the gay around the gate of the beautiful city in the Vale of Siddim, while for them the shadows of evening are deepening into night for the last time. It would only provoke a smile of incredulity or derision if they were told that they were sporting upon their funeral pile and that the breath of the divine wrath was just ready to kindle the pile into devouring flame. Alas, how many millions of immortal men live like the thoughtless and pleasure-loving people of Sodom, 
all devoted to earthly cares, joys, and occupations. Exactly as the people today are living. Then what? Until the pit of the grave opens in their path and they sink to rise no more. And alas, how often the solemn lesson of sudden death is lost upon the living. For the crowd press on with hurried and heedless tread in the very path out of which men are constantly passing from time into eternity at a single step. Two strangers are seen approaching the city. The softened radiance of the evening light shows nothing unusual in their appearance. They seem to be only common travelers coming down from the hill country and turning in for shelter by night, that they may rise up early in the morning and go on their journey. God's mightiest messengers of mercy and of wrath often come in a very common garb. We must give earnest heed and keep ourselves upon the watch, or the angels of blessing and of deliverance will come and pass by us unawares, and we shall not receive their help. There was but one man at the gate of Sodom, sufficiently attentive to notice the strangers and invite them to his own house. He did not know who they were, nor did he suspect the awful errand upon which they came. But by treating them with such courtesy as was due to the character of strangers in which they came, he secured for himself such help as angels alone could give in the time of his greatest need. Fidelity in the most common and homely duties of life opens the door of the house for the greatest of heaven's blessings to come in. The discharge of duties that are fully known and easily understood is the first qualification for the comprehension of the deepest and most awful mysteries of our being and destiny. The idle throng in the streets deride the hospitable old man for taking the two strangers home to his own house. They see nothing in them worthy of such attention. They are much more ready to treat them with rudeness and contempt or to make them the subjects of the passion which has given their city a name of infamy throughout all generations. They hoot and jeer at the venerable patriarch when he rises up from his seat in the gate to meet the travelers and bows himself with his face to the ground and says, with eastern courtesy, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night. The vilest suggestions are passed to and fro among the lewd and leering rabble as the old man leads his guests away. The hour of rest has not come before a crowd gathers in the streets and besets the house where the strangers have gone to repose. They become more clamorous with infamous outcries and rude assault as night wears on. They are so blinded and besotted in their sensuality that they would do violence to God's mighty angels, who can wrap their city in flames and open the pit of destruction beneath their habitations in a moment. The celestial messengers had come to see whether there were any in all that city who could be persuaded to escape from the impending doom. And the iniquity of the inhabitants was full. The last drop was added to the fiery cup of wrath to be poured upon their heads when they received the warning as an idle tale and treated the messenger with contempt. So dreadful a thing it is 
to slight God's offered salvation, even though it should be meant only for once. For when the angels of mercy go back to him that sent them, it may be that they will kindle behind them the fires of wrath. The men of Sodom did not think they were doing anything unusual when they beset the house of Lot and came near to break the door. They were no more riotous or dissolute on the last night than they had been many nights before. But there is a point beyond which the divine forbearance cannot go. And they had reached that point when they clamored against Lot and would have beaten him down in the streets for protecting his angel guests. When blindness fell upon them and they wearied themselves to find the door, they had already passed quote, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. Unquote. For the sake of the righteous man, Lot, there was just one thing more to be done. The aged father is permitted to go out and urge his sons-in-law to flee from the doomed city. He makes his way to their houses through the blinded rabble in the streets and gives the warning. But he seems to them as one that mocked. They cannot think it possible that he is in his right mind to be coming to them at that late hour of the night with such an alarming message. They only tell him to go home and quiet his fears by dismissing the suspicious strangers and going to sleep in his own house. They cannot think of troubling themselves about the anxieties of a wakeful and weak-minded old man when nothing is wanted but a little rest to dismiss his fears. They will sleep on till morning, and tomorrow they will laugh at the kind-hearted old father about his midnight call. Alas, how little do sons and daughters know the fears and hopes, the anxieties and sorrows of Christian parents in their behalf. They jest and laugh the hours of life away, while a father's heart is burdened all day long, with the desire and prayer that they would be in earnest about the things that concern their everlasting peace. They sleep soundly while a devoted and self-denying mother spends the long hours of the night in watching and weeping for their sake. This old man Lot, going into the noisy streets under the cover of darkness to rouse up his sons-in-law and persuade them to escape from the doomed city, was only doing what faithful parents have been doing ever since, to save their children from the sad consequences of living only for earth and time. When the disappointed father comes back to his own house, the angels of rescue are waiting for him, and the first streaks of dawn are just beginning to appear in the east. As yet there is no apparent change in the earth or the sky. No trumpet of wrath has blown through the midnight. No earthquake has shaken the hills. No sulfurous fires have flamed up from the bed of the peaceful valley. No threatening waves has rolled upon the shore of the quiet lake. No cloud of vengeance darkens the coming day. The morning star shines with its customary brightness over the mountains of Moab. The cool air mingled with the perfume of flowers comes up like refreshing incense from the placid sea, and the song, song of birds welcomes the returning light. There's nothing to fear save that one word of the angels, quote, the Lord will destroy this city, unquote. 
The beautiful skies speak peace and safety. The teeming earth promises riches and abundance. The sleeping city dreams of long life and continued pleasure. The coming day looks down from the eastern hills with a smile. But the angels have said, quote, The Lord will destroy this city, unquote. And that is reason enough for alarm and for immediate flight. When he threatens, it is the part of fortitude to fear. When he commands, it is the first dictate of duty and of safety to obey. A thousand voices from the marts of business, from the haunts of pleasure, from the beds of ease, and from the lips of skepticism may promise peace and safety. But all such voices are nothing against one word from the mouth of the Lord. The desires of the deceiving heart, the seductions of temptation, the example of the multitude may all say peace to those who are living without Christ and without hope. But God's word has said, it is death so to live, and that word is enough. It is hard for the old man to go and leave a part of his own family and all his worldly possessions behind to perish. But go he must, or even he cannot be saved. He lingers with divided heart and hesitating mind while the hour of doom is fast coming on. The angels urge him to hasten, but he lingers still. With merciful violence they lay hold upon his hands and upon the hands of those of his family that are with him in the house and hurry them forth out of the city. And then comes the starling and vehement charge. Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed. Unquote. A few minutes delay will cost him his life. If he only turns to take one longing, lingering look of house and home, and of all that his heart holds dearest on earth, if he only waits to see what will become of the city, he will be consumed in the coming storm. The overthrow is delayed only to give the fugitives time to escape. Their steps across the plain are counting out the last moments of the doomed city. Still the weary and distracted old man begs to be permitted to rest at a little town short of the safe mountains. It is so small that he thinks it need not be involved in the ruin of the greater and guiltier city below. The fond and fearful request is granted, but with a solemn reiteration of the charge to hasten, for the fiery storm cannot long be restrained from its outbreaking wrath. One of the four fugitives pauses to look back, with a vain curiosity to see what would become of the city, and so fails to escape. The sun is already risen upon the earth, and the bright morning promises a beautiful day. The early risers in Sodom are making themselves merry with the frightened old man who had fled with his family to the mountains. The sons-in-law are on their way to his house to laugh at him for walking in his sleep the night before. The idle and voluptuous are devising new pleasures for the day, and the profligate are sleeping through the fresh hours of the morning to compensate for the late revels of the night. And just now the hour of doom strikes. The Lord rains fire and brimstone out of heaven upon the city and upon the beautiful plain that seemed like paradise the day before. And the smoke of the burning goes up as the smoke of a great furnace. And the glare of the mighty conflagration is seen far off by shepherds on the hills of Hebron and the mountains of Moab. 
and in one moment the fair veil, which had been as the garden of the Lord in beauty and fertility, becomes a desolation, a place never to be inhabited from generation to generation, a valley of desolation and of death, where the wandering Arab shall never dare to pitch his tent, nor the shepherd to make his fold, a haunted and horrible region, doleful in reality, and clothed with additional terrors by gloomy superstitions and evil imaginations. And God made this great desolation in his own beautiful and glorious world, because the sin of Sodom was great, and the cry of its iniquity had come up to heaven. The last night was as serene and beautiful as ever, hung its starry curtain over a sleeping world. And when the golden dawn broke into day, the rising sun had not seen a fairer city than Sodom in all the gorgeous east. In one moment her last cry went up to heaven, amid tempests of fire that rained down from above and fountains of fire that burst up from the deep. And Sodom has become a name of infamy for all generations, and its awful doom stands forth as a perpetual sign that God's patience with sin has a bound beyond which it will not go. The scriptures expressly declare that the fiery fate of this doomed city in ancient time is set forth as an example to warn men in all subsequent ages against leading ungodly lives. The lurid flame of this great act of the divine justice sends its warning light through all the centuries of human history to show that there is a God in heaven before whom the cry of man's iniquity goes up day and night. The things that are told of Sodom may be said of many a city that has not shared in Sodom's doom. The prophet Ezekiel says that the sin of that city was, quote, pride and fullness of bread and abundance of idleness, unquote. Millions would count it happiness to revel in abundance and have nothing to do. Thus far in the world's history, the highest rank in human society has been conceded to those who have the greatest revenues secured to them without effort on their part, and who never touch the common burdens of humanity with one of their fingers. And we all know how naturally pride enthrones itself as the master passion in the heart, when once all fear of want and all necessity to work are taken away. The sin of Sodom, however gross in reputation and in reality, was the offspring of wealth and leisure, the two things which the worldly heart most desires, and of which, when possessed, the worldly heart is most proud. If men could have all that they desire of both, how hard it would be for them to think or care at all for the life to come. Many are ashamed of work, all are afraid of want. And yet it is work which makes worth in men, and the deepest sense of want is the beginning of immortal life in the soul. This awful lesson in sacred history may be all summed up in two words. One is from man and the world, the other is from heaven and God. One says to the careless and the worldly, quote, tarry, be at ease, enjoy yourself while you can, unquote. The other says, quote, escape for thy life, unquote. 
One says, quote, wait, be not alarmed. Make yourself comfortable where you are, unquote. The other says, quote, haste, look not behind thee, flee to the mountain, lest thou be consumed, unquote. One says, quote, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry, unquote. The other says, quote, thou fool, this night thy soul may be required of thee, unquote. The question which everyone must answer for himself is always this, which of these two voices shall I obey? Shall I sit down in that seductive and false security which is all absorbed in earthly things and fears no evil, because at present there is no appearance of danger? Or shall I obey the voice from heaven, which commands me to arise and shake off the dangerous lethargy of the world and escape for my life? Shall I listen to the voice of earth, which cries peace and safety, or to the voice of heaven, which says that destruction lies in the path of souls that are at ease without God? To many it seems like mockery to talk of danger to the young and the gay, the healthful and the happy. But who was the mocker on the peaceful night when the cities of the plain rioted in pleasure for the last time? The righteous man Lot, who exposed himself to the jeers of the mob and made his way through the darkened streets to warn his sons-in-law and fled himself for his life, or the sons-in-law themselves who laughed at the warning and perished in the flames. All the seductions and falsehoods of temptation and all the dangers and sorrows of perdition are bound up in that one word, wait. The voice of love speaks to the careless in terms of terror and alarm. God's patience will not always last. The day of grace must have an end and with many it is much shorter than they expect. The God who rained a fiery tempest upon the cities of the plain and destroyed them is the God who holds our everlasting destiny in his hands. He will not always be mocked. He will not long be trifled with. And the loving and compassionate Jesus himself declares that there is a greater sin than that for which Sodom and Gomorrah were overthrown. It is the sin of those who hear the gospel call to repentance and heed it not. It is the sin of those who see the Son of God agonizing in the garden and dying on the cross for their salvation, who still refuse to give him their hearts. It is the sin of those who have been many times warned and entreated and who nevertheless spend their lives in waiting for a more convenient season to repent and turn to God. It is the sin of those who put off the first great work of life to the dying hour, and death finds them with the work all undone. It shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for those who spend their lives in such utter neglect of the great salvation. The blessed and compassionate Jesus gave forth that solemn warning to the neglectors and despisers in his day, that the echo of his voice might resound through all time, and that all who hear might be saved from such a doom. His most awful threatening involves and includes an invitation of equal extent. 
he would awaken fear that he may kindle hope. He commands effort that he may save from despair. He draws back the veil from the pit of darkness that we may be constrained to look up when he unfolds the glories of paradise. The angels hastened Lot while he lingered and was loath to go. Give you the meaning there. Loath, L-O-A-T-H, also L-O-T-H, or L-O-A-T-H-E, which means unwilling to do something contrary to one's way of thinking. Okay, even though God said this is the way to do it, God's way of doing things is contrary to the way you think. The way you think is inferior. And so people have to get used to believing and receiving what God says instead of loathing it, okay? Instead of believing your uh, thoughts or will over that which God wills and his thoughts and his word is. All right, then what? The voices of the divine mercy are ever repeating the cry to the heedless and the hesitating. Haste, escape for thy life. Wait not for better opportunities to begin a better life. Any opportunity to secure infinite and eternal blessing is a good one, and a better one than the present may never come. Look not behind to see what will become of worldly pleasure and vanities. When the soul is in peril, no earthly interest can be a sufficient reason for an hour's delay. The solemn monitions of conscience, the uncertain tenure of all earthly possessions, the embittered and transitory nature of all earthly joys, the admonitions of divine providence in affliction and death, the sweet and mighty constraint of the love of Christ, and all the perils and sorrows and necessities of the soul continually say to the hesitating and the halting, Haste thee, escape for thy life. Make sure thy flight to the stronghold of hope before the voice of mercy shall cease to call and the wrath that is ready to burn burst in an endless storm. Praise the Lord. Uh, you can read the first chapter of the book of Romans and you'll find that these people are worthy, these homosexuals are worthy to be put to death and God is the one that's doing it in these last days. He's going to put them all to death. And he's doing it in a way that a lot of people don't realize because they're so far buried under their own sinful lust. Uh, he's doing it through AIDS and other infirmities and sicknesses and diseases. I myself have uh, seen in the clothing industry where I was for a while multitudes of Men 20, 21, 25 years old die. And even Liberace and also clothing manufacturers like tailors that I use that caught AIDS from having sexual relationships with Liberace. They act gay, but they're not gay. They're the most sad people in the world. Let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Start reading. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, 
which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 3. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Verse 4. Seed of David, uh, and was David a polygamist? Yes. Okay, so the Lord boasts that he is of the seed of David, the polygamist. Then what? A lot of people are saying, well, we don't believe in this ministry anymore because you're coming out into things that are so controversial. They're not really controversial at all. If you believe God, his word, which is Christ, you're the one that is controversial in my eyes, and you're going to pay for it in eternity. Anyone that would think the word of God and his uh, chosen people, vessels, are evil, you're the most evil person on the face of the earth. Okay, and then go ahead. Verse 4. You don't, uh, you don't come up against uh, homosexuals. Uh, you rather come against those uh, where there's no law uh, against it, and therefore you're to blame. Then what? And declare to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience... Power and apostleship. Then what? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Verse 6. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse 10. Making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end that ye may be established. Verse 12, That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Verse 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21. 
because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. These are homosexuals that uh, do the opposite of what God said. Then what else? Verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Verse 27. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Verse 28. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. You know how the news media has brain damaged people so much that they actually uh, sympathize with homosexuality more than they do um, polygamy. Polygamy is of the Lord. Uh, this uh, so much in the Bible is against everything in the Bible is against homosexuality. It's definitely you're going to be condemned if you don't get out of it. Then what? Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's a mind that's been rejected by God. Then what? To do those things which are not convenient. Verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Chapter 2 Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. Right, if you're using your own judgment, but the Bible tells us we're able to judge all things by the word of God. So we see that these people that uh, commit such things as homosexuality, are uh, of every branch of evil known to society, known to God. And he turns them over to a rejected mind, a mind that God rejects. Okay, then what? For thou that judgest doest the same things. Yeah, we can judge, but only with the word of God. Then what? Verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth, against them which commit such things. See, that's what he says. But we know that the judgment of God is true, not your judgment or mine. I am judging all things by the word of God. 
you like to do otherwise? That's your very big problem. Okay, then what? Verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? Verse 7. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Verse 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Verse 9. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. Verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Okay, my time is up. And it's time for us to be, uh, be able to have an opportunity to accept the Lord. Uh, not as homosexuals, uh, they reject God and his word, but as a person that is not homosexual, yeah, this is your opportunity. You may never get another opportunity like this uh, the rest of your life to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Lord tells us that uh, we uh, have... Uh, only one person that is able to forgive our sins, and that's Christ himself. He's the one that paid the price to take uh, care, to rid us of our sins. And so to be rid of all your sins, no matter how evil they were, just call on the Lord now by saying, My Lord and my God, have mercy upon my soul, a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and I believe that he died on the cross and shed his precious blood. Uh, for the forgiveness of all my former filthy sins. And I believe that you, Father God, raised Jesus from the dead by the power of your Holy Spirit. I open the door of my heart, and I invite you into my heart, Lord Jesus, Holy Father and Holy Spirit. Wash all my former filthy sins away in the precious blood that you shed for me. You will not turn me away, Lord Jesus. You will save my soul. I know because your word says so. Your word says that you'll turn no one away, and that includes me. Therefore, I know that you have heard me, and I know that you have answered me, and I know that I'm saved. And uh, I just praise and thank your holy name, Father, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. Now, pick up uh, King James, an old King James version of the Bible, not the new one, and read it. And... Here's Sharon to tell you how you can receive a copy of this program, number 613. Please state whether you want a CD or an audio tape. They're free.
Go to alamoministries.com or write to Tony Alamo Christian Ministries, P.O. Box 6467, Texarkana, Texas 75505, or call area code 479-782-7370. That's 479-782-7370, or fax to area code 479-782-7406. Praise the Lord. This is World Pastor Tony Alamo saying tune in tomorrow for another instruction on how to receive the kingdom of heaven one more day at a time until it's time for you to go up into heaven. Now, here I am with uh, Porter Wagner. We're both singing together. Here a song that Dolly Parton wrote for me, and it's called Lord Hold My Hand. I do be kind Let me never hesitate To help my brother Walking blind Hold my hand Lest I lose my way Just hold my hand.